understanding yes we are alike in lots and lots of important ways but we're also different in lots of important ways so without further ado Mike take it away buddy thank you so much Terry and uh, it's always fun to talk about um, things that uh, assist us on the mental health journey of life because we are always faced with challenges every day, sometimes every week, uh, certainly every month. Uh, and you can look at your life and the emotional uh, waves that go through and sometimes are really deep and sometimes they kind of level off. Well, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is simply a, an inventory that assesses personality your personality preferences, the kinds of things that you uh, rely on to get you through some of those waves of emotional ups and downs, how you process, how you uh, think things through. I will say that uh, this work is based upon uh, Carl Jung's work, who Carl was a student of Sigmund Freud. You might have heard that name in classes like Introductory Psychology and so forth. Uh, Jung uh, <clears throat> was uh, varied in his perspective in that he didn't adopt Freud's view that religion was a universal neurosis. Uh, he actually felt that uh, God had an important place in uh, one's view of life and especially in healthy development. So they had kind of a parting of the waves. But out of his research on personality uh, and uh, structure, those kinds of things, came an inventory that people began developing based on some of his studies. What I love about this is that it uh, looks at relational connections. How you view yourself can help you interact with someone else who has a different personality structure. And that's the value here. It's to get to know yourself better and then to be able to translate that into how you interact with others, whether it be in marriage or family, whether it be in the workplace, neighborhoods, church environments, uh, corporations, and so forth. Uh, it is one of the most widely researched inventories uh, to help us understand, again, internal uh, processes and then how it is expressed externally. Uh, this uh, inventory, it's impossible to fail it. There's no pass or fail. <laughs> and some people go, well, I don't know if I want to do an inventory because I'm afraid it might reveal something negative about me. Uh, the beauty of this uh, inventory is that it's strength-based. Uh, you might conclude that that's a negative component, but it doesn't necessarily speak to it as a negative component. Uh, it doesn't measure... Uh, intelligence, it doesn't measure pathology or deviations, it looks at health and wholeness, which is why I love the inventory. So I've got some extra oh, uh, uh, sheets here. I'll put them on the chair back here. Okay. Does anyone else need one? There are some pen, pens and inventories that I want you to be looking at. We're going to do just a brief seminar today, uh, and so I'd like you to um, have one of those. <clears throat> The reasons for using it is, first, to affirm who you are. It's an affirmation that you go, okay, I like me. I like the descriptions of me. Sure, there are things you want to tweak, but you always want to start from the angle of how is this blessing and affirming me? Because the stronger sense of self you have, the, the better you'll be able to interact with other people in your experiences of life. 
If you don't have a strong sense of self, if you don't like yourself, we call that in the field a poor self-image, then it's going to affect your ability to have better relational experiences with others. And so this inventory can help strengthen that view of yourself, affirm yourself, so that as you enter into those other relationships, you'll feel better, you'll feel more confident about your place. And when someone else is not in such a good place, it won't rock your boat so much because you still have that self-affirmation. That's what I love about that, that it's okay to be who you are because that's what this captures. And then uh, secondly, it does help you understand the people that you're closely associated with. For example, in family and in marriage experiences with your children, uh, they may not be able to do a Myers-Briggs type indicator inventory, but you can begin as you get to know uh, yourself and this instrument, you can begin to understand other people a little bit better. You go, oh, I can see that my daughter, my son seems to have this preference and then that can help you in your own parenting experience. Plus, in the broadest sense, it can help you with coworkers and uh, uh, extended family members who sometimes are more challenging because they don't necessarily feel good about themselves, and you probably already know who those people are. <laughs> so, <clears throat> thinking in terms of the uh, M MBTI short for Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, it uh, assesses four different dimensions of personality. One dimension is how are you energized? What energizes you? What gives you that punch in life? What just fills you up and you are drawn to that? And so we'll look at that level of uh, ener energizing yourself. Second, how do you gather information about the world in which you live? How do you process that? What goes on between the ears? What are the questions you ask? Third dimension is how you make decisions. Again, what is your decision-making process? Again, questions that you ask, what you gravitate toward in that process. And then the fourth is how do you interact or deal with the world about you? Uh, and each of those four dimensions will produce a four-letter type. How many of you have already taken the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator? So, so many of you already are familiar with it. That's great, we'll just kind of breeze through this. Uh, I did send out a link uh, earlier for those of you that we had email addresses, and if we don't have you on the email list, I think there's a sheet going around. Please make sure that you're on that. I'd like to um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just gonna read a passage. I think this passage captures for us on the spiritual level the value of difference, the value of having uh, preferences, gifts, etc. That, uh, that don't require everyone to be just alike. So we'll look at, uh, begin with verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, and I'll read down through verse 12. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. So you know uh, by just your uh, experience in life that people have different gifts. Some have the ability to stand up and make presentations easily. Others have gifts of service. Others might have gifts of wisdom. Some might have gifts of administration. And you can see Scripture full of how God identifies that all of these different gifts are at play. I like to translate that to our experience with personality. Personality is a gift. In fact, when our first daughter was born, in the womb, before she was born, I could tell her personality was already evident, very mild, there was something about music that soothed her because we played Brahms lullabies. We played classical music. And you could tell that whatever she might be experiencing in the moment, that was influencing her. And she is, if you know Rebecca, she is this calm kind of evil, uh, even. <laughs> that's my second one. Uh, oh my goodness, this, this is being recorded. That's not true. Let me scratch that. Not evil, even-tempered child. Our second one, in the womb, there, you could kind of tell she was wrestling and she was doing somersaults and it was just kind of fascinating. And when she was born, Miranda was this rather energetic, active uh, young lady and she still is today and she is not evil. <laughs> Let me clarify that since this is on recording. Okay, so <clears throat> you have before you that sheet. Go ahead and turn it over. Uh, use this as a way to kind of do your own personal assessment. Uh, some people will ask, so does my personality change over the years? Like years ago I was this way, but now it feels like I'm more this way. And I would suggest that your personality structure is basically the same. Often if you're very close to that center line, you may go back and forth because you don't have strong preference. But I will tell you that I test out as an ESTJ uh, from the very beginning. However, because of my experience, my age, my counseling practice, I have adopted a more uh, F -N, an NF quality that is uh, expressed more easily because my, my language shift, I'm sorry? We need care. Okay, uh, leave your dollar by the door. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so there, there might be that you are developing and have trained yourself into some of those other components or dimensions of personality. So do you change? N not so significantly. You, if you're an extrovert, you probably won't quickly or over time become a strong in introvert unless there could be an accident, there could be brain injury, there could be other circumstances that might contribute. But for the most part, it doesn't really shift. So in the uh, upper left-hand corner of this, I hope you have some kind of hard surface uh, to uh, utilize, but sign your full legal name. Full legal name. Upper left-hand corner. I just noticed that in 
happens to be in hymns because I'm an INT. Oh, shop. sure enough. I'm sorry. Okay. Great. All right. Full legal name, upper left-hand corner. Now, in the upper right-hand corner, change hands with your writing instrument and write your full legal name. Other, other corner. Uh, with your opposite dominant hand. Your non-dominant non hand. I'd love for you to just sign it. I'd love you to sign your full legal name with your non-dominant hand in the opposite. All right, so that is an exercise. So let's have a conversation. I could tell as soon as I asked you to switch hands, some of you kind of screwed up your face a little bit, uh, some of you started giggling, some of you had all kinds of different experiences. What was it about going from your dominant hand to your non-dominant hand? Tell me a little bit about your experience. Didn't feel natural. What else? Really had to think about it. Had to think about it. It's like the letter E. <laughs> how do I? I don't even know how to form it, right? Okay. Had to really give energy to thinking. What else? Make you feel kind of weak. Like, oh, I can't even write my name with my left hand. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Like perhaps a little frustrated, uh, challenged, took awkward. Took more effort. More effort. It took most of you four to five times longer to sign with your non-dominant hand than your dominant hand. In fact, I could have turned the lights out, blindfolded you, and asked you to sign your full legal name, and it would have probably looked very similar to what it does now, because you don't have to think about it. You've been doing it so often, it's natural. It is your preference. Now, some people who are ambidextrous and they kind of have fun with going back and forth, that's a little bit different, but for the most part, this represents how the Myers-Briggs type indicator is capturing what your preference is. You just do it automatically without thought. It's not awkward. You can do it with your eyes closed and blindfolded in a dark room because it's just how your natural personality emerges. But when you, hold on, when you try to move over into some of those other dimensions, now you realize, wow, this is more awkward. It's more time consuming. I have to give more effort and energy. I have to think about it. I don't know how to do it automatically because I don't naturally act like a, an introvert. So I have to give effort and energy. Tees? Yes, it might look a little elementary, uh, you know, and do you sign it or do you just use block letters? Because that might be easier, you, you see. So it represents, and you think about this in terms of relationships. Well, I'm, I'm naturally an ESTJ. I'm just naturally that way. I'm not natural when it comes to processing like an emotion-based person. I have to really think about it. And in marriage, it's good that I think about it. But if I just go with natural, this is just the way God made me, 
I'm not willing to allow myself to learn that other dimension because I do have it within me. We have the capability. All of you could learn to use your non-dominant hand to sign your name. It just would require a lot of effort over a long period of time. Now, would you ever, ever become, like, will I ever become a left-handed person? No. I'm always going to be a right person, even if I lose this arm. My brain will automatically want to use that, but it's just no longer available. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of foundation on how the Myers-Briggs can help you understand your preference part and then open your eyes, your mind, your heart to the possibility of what can I learn about this component because that's not my natural preference side. So we're going to go through these four dimensions. I'll move through them pretty quickly so we can have a little conversation at the end. So first line, extroversion, introversion line. And uh, some of this, uh, Dave, may sound a little similar because I think I've probably borrowed some of your stuff. Dave does a lot of Myers-Briggs trainings, and so uh, some of the things I've uh, held on to as really good stuff. I, I stole it all, too. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we, we kind of do this. Yeah. Now, when I go through this, keep in mind I'm looking at kind of the opposite ends uh, when you get closer into the middle line, like if you took this and came out as a three uh, on the Myers-Briggs, uh, it might be that you relate very uh, easily to both sides, maybe not strong on either one of those sides. And so um, just take that into consideration. The only way I can present this is I'm going to talk about the strong E's versus the strong I's. And that will just give you a sense of like, I'm not that strong. Sometimes I feel more like I'm an introvert, but yet I really come out as an extrovert online, and that's fine. It's just, I can't address every little uh, quality in between. So, this is the <clears throat> outer world versus the inner world. How we interact with the world and how we are energized as we interact with the world. So, extroverts are looking outward at people, at things, at activities. They're this kind of a person. They engage this kind of an experience. It's the outer world. The introverts, they're more interested in the internal world. They're introspective. They're interested in ideas and activities that go on in their head. So you can kind of see, wow, one is external, one is internal. So extroverts, let's look at them for a moment. They get their batteries charged up being with people. They love being with people. In fact, when they're out of touch with people, they're very lonely. They seek people when their resources run low. Why? Because people are a source of energy for them. Extroverts like to talk, they like to play, they like to work, they love to interact with people. And that's how they get their batteries charged for whatever is on their plate to do. Extroverts like variety, they like action, they plunge readily into new experiences. They're usually good communicators. They like to bounce thoughts off of people. They tend to unload their emotions as they go along, saying things without always thinking first. I can attest to that. Usually extroverts are comfortable with disclosing personal information with other people, even if they don't know them. They look for affirmation from others. Um, they, they like to know they're affirming who you are, they affirm what you do, they affirm how you look. 
Extroverts are the people who usually appear to be the life of the party. Why? Because they're always engaging in interaction. So an extrovert who has been interacting in a workplace environment for five days and they come home on a Friday evening and how do you think they're going to relax? Where are we going tonight? Who are we going out to supper with? Hey, what do you say? Let's go to Joe's. He's having a party tonight. It's just because they think in terms of, I really need to get energized. I've been using a lot of energy. I've had a lot of planning and detail work. I've been a little drained. I was on a business trip and was mostly doing uh, quiet, back, uh, you know, uh, not upfront kind of work. I need to get my batteries charged. All right, so <clears throat> that's the extrovert. So the introvert, how do they process? Or how do they get energized? They experience loneliness in a crowd often. They need solitude to recharge their batteries. They prefer one-on-one -on -one or small group kinds of interactions. Why? Because usually there's less pressure to have to speak up. They can actually be quiet in a smaller group experience. They like facilitating in-depth conversations in relationships. They like to go deep. They like quiet. They like concentration. They like meditation. They like to think a lot before acting, sometimes without acting. They seldom blurt things out. And disclosing personal information might occur gradually over a longer period of time, if they ever get there. They work contentedly alone, they can develop a high level of concentration and can shut out television, noisy kids, a spouse who's giving feedback on the day's experiences. <laughs> they tend to bottle up emotions, though they're intense and passionate. Because they're so internalized, they may have more challenges with communicating effectively, but they are perceived as really great listeners. They may be less aware of other situations because of internalizing that introspection shifts them from thinking externally to what's going on internally. And they may enjoy being around others for briefer periods of time, but too much people interaction drains them. So they're not energized by lots of external experiences with people. Now, the truth is, we all need solitude and we all need to have some level of interaction. I see them as gifts. Both, inter, uh, both introversion and extroversion are just gifts to relationships. Extroverts seem to be better in public settings, while introverts seem to do better on the, the more focused kinds of interactions. Our Western culture does seem to uh, give preference to the external side. I've never heard an extrovert say, wow, I just wish I was more introverted. But I've heard many, many introverts say, I just wish I was so much more extroverted because they want to be more external in their interactions. Our uh, older daughter, as I said, is an introvert and uh, tried to get her engaged in team sports throughout her young life and she just never seemed to really engage. But in high school, she got into a, uh, a sport that was just perfect for her. You want to guess what it was? Uh, good, good guess. 
cross-country running. Because <laughs> this is like in your own internal world. Now, there's a team waiting to welcome you when you cross the line. But she loved it because it was just a lot of internal time. And I just think that's so fascinating. You know, I would rather be involved in a team sport. Um, but anyway, that's, <clears throat> that's introversion, extroversion. Let me give you some keywords. Okay? This will be uh, extrovert. This will be introvert. Keywords. Sociability. Territoriality. Interaction, concentration. External, internal. Breadth, depth. Extensive, intensive. Many relationships, limited relationships. Expending energies, conserving energies. Interest in external events, interest in internal responses. So as you listen to that brief uh, evaluation of that first one, where would you mark yourself on that continuum, on that first line? Just kind of put a line where you think, this is kind of where, as I'm listening to you, this is kind of where I think I am. All right. Moving along. Next line. Sensing intuition line. Terry pointed out that on your line, actually, it says I again. It needs to be an N, and uh, we'll correct that. But uh, that's because the I's already been used on introversion. All right. So <clears throat> this is opposite ways of finding out uh, and gathering information about the world. Sensing people prefer to use the senses, eyes, ears, touch, etc., to tell them what is out there, what is happening. Intuitives, they prefer to find meanings in situations through seeing possibilities and relationships among things. They like to read between the lines. They like to see around the corner uh, because they're imagining things beyond, outside of the box. Sensing people, here's what they want. They want facts, they trust facts, they remember facts. Just give me the facts, ma'am. Believes experience is the best teacher. So you trust experience. You can prove it because it's worked. We, uh, S's emphasize what is happening and what has happened because now you can have a, a pool of data that will help you. S's. Learn best by doing, by observing, by being there. They work steadily. They're good at precise work. These are the doers of the world. They're patient with routine details. They're basically concrete thinkers. Seeing is believing. Uh, they tend not to trust their own intuition or anyone else's. Because again, intuition doesn't rely so much on the facts. Uh, and uh, the sensing people become, they are the realistic, practical, they value realism in their world because it makes sense. It is what it is. Intuitives, on the other hand, they value inspiration. They like solving new problems. They like to, to think big, beyond. Let's not just go with the status quo. There's always good possibilities out here. Don't be, don't be stuck in this rut, but, but let's open our eyes to some new possibilities. They work in bursts of energies and enthusiasm with slack periods in between. They're good at abstractions and symbols, words and theories. They have vivid imaginations. They're innovative. What could it be like? What if? Those are the kinds of questions that intuitives ask. They dwell on possibilities. What can be done? And they're often restless in that process. Uh, they look to the future. They live in anticipation. They operate on hunches. They enjoy learning new skills, often more than using them, uh, and there are about 25% of our population falls into the intuitive side. Uh, so let me give um, keywords. 
This is the sensing, this is the intuitive. Experience, hunches, present, future, realistic, speculative, perspiration, inspiration, actual, possible, down to earth, head in the clouds, utility, fantasy, fact, fiction, practicality, ingenuity, sensible, imaginative. So now on your sheet, kind of measure where you think you are. And if you're married, you could do this also with your wife. Just make the, the marks a little bit different so that you can tell which one you think your wife is or husband or um, if you're in a relationship or... Do you have openings in your schedule? In <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to refer. <laughs> okay, thinking feeling line. <clears throat> These are opposite ways of making decisions. This is the only category that seems to be influenced by gender. 60% of males tend to be T's, about 70, 75% of females uh, tend to be uh, feelers. Now, what this doesn't mean is that thinkers don't feel or feelers don't think. So that's always uh, kind of challenging. If the male is a thinker and the female is a feeler, it's quite possible that the male just assumes, you're not using your brain, think about it, come on. Process it, you're just too emotional. And that's unfortunate because it does deny them the opportunity to think and process, but they do it through an emotional angle, which is very different. Uh, those of us who are T's, we tend to just shut down the emotional piece because it's a world that we're just not comfortable in. And so it's easier for us to operate from the analytical side. And so we just have to be careful about making some comments like that. Here's what thinkers ask. Is it true or false? While feelers ask, is it valued or not valued? Very different questions. So thinking preference people. They like analysis. They value logic above sentiment. Let the head rule the heart. Decide impersonally. It's more important to be right than to be liked. Now you may have worked in work environments where the boss just made hard decisions. Sorry, this is life. But my kids, my family, my who, you know, and this emotional thing, it's like, I don't have time for emotion. No drama, please. It's, this is just thinking clearly about things. You see, that's the analytical side. So it's the goal, objective truth, independent of personality. That's kind of the goal for them. Interest is in things more than in human relationships. They may unintentionally hurt people's feelings. They might feel sad for a moment, but it's just like, that's life. I mean, you just gotta get with the program and sorry about you hurting. They just don't necessarily process the emotional aspect of people's emotions. So they can get along without harmony. They may admonish people, again, because it's the right thing to do. You're not doing your job. I don't care if you're in a good place or not, or in a bad place or not. Sorry, this is a job. You gotta do the job. And if you can't do the job, you gotta quit. So it, sometimes it's just so calculated and so harsh, and we think, well, my goodness, there's no heart there. And that's what it can feel like. Uh, when you understand yourself, you can take into account some of these things and go, wait a minute, I wanna be a people person. I wanna make sure that I value who they are, even though we might process decision-making differently. So the, um, <clears throat> the thinking people suppress, ignore feelings because it's incompatible with logic. Uh, except they attempt to win people with logic rather than appeal to emotions, uh, objective and consistent. And uh, I don't really have a, a modern uh, uh, example. I always think of Spock in the, in the old 
uh, version, you know, he was just, uh, there was no emotion whatsoever. It was just always analytical, straightforward. And so um, I'll try to keep thinking of someone. So if you can come up with someone who fits that, that would be helpful. Feeling preference people. They operate from the heart, much more tender-hearted in their decision-making process. They decide on the basis of personal values, whether it's logical or not. They evaluate from the viewpoint of agreeable or disagreeable. They suppress and ignore logic if it's incompatible with feelings. They value sentiment above reason. They're more interested in people than in things. They're naturally friendly, whether uh, introverts or extroverts, uh, sociable or not. They like harmony. They enjoy pleasing people. They're aware of other people and their feelings. And they're usually very skillful in the way they deal and interact with people. You want to have the feelers on your team. Now, thinkers often view feelers as just too emotional, irrational in decision-making. Feelers view the thinkers as cold, calculated, heartless, insensitive. I remind you, they're both gifts. We do have to learn how to utilize our gifts in the best way, not to just support our own private perspective or preference, but rather to think in terms of how do we cross over. Now, <clears throat> I am a T by Myers-Briggs description. A T, I will promise you, if you only operate on the T, it will not work successfully in marriage. It just won't. Uh, it will create a huge divide. So here's what I did. When my wife and I took the Myers-Briggs type indicator, and this is probably 25, maybe 30 years ago. No, it had to be, because uh, we've been married 42 years, so it had to be at least 32 years ago. Took the Myers-Briggs. Mine, it confirmed who I was. I liked who I am. ESTJ, it's like, I'm the guy. I know, I love that. Now, not, not, few others loved that personality type. They were like, ah, you're kidding me. You like that? And it did. It was confirming to me and affirming. I read Nadine's and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what planet? I'm not kidding you. I, but here's what I did. I read through that a number of times and I began realizing I have got to do some internal shifting here. And so I logically told myself, she is going to process this emotionally. So since you know it logically, that she's going to process it emotionally, how can you come closer to her, put your arm around her, and engage in a conversation? Can you listen more? I'm an extrovert. I'm not the best listener because, <laughs> you see, I have things to say. I, I speak before I think. I've had to say I'm sorry many times. But it made a logical, I made a logical shift, which allowed me to begin entering into her world. And I love that. I'm not kidding you. I learned a world I had never, ever experienced before. It not only helped our marriage, it helped my interaction as a dad with two girls. And when my wife's mother moved in with us and lived with us for about 22 years, it helped me in that uh, multi-generational experience, working with women and in my therapy practice. It's just like sometimes I'll make a comment as, as sort of a supportive comment about what they just said to see if I can capture it. And it's so interesting when a woman says to me, it's like you crawled into my head. How do you know that? And I'm going, well, not because I really know you, but I've heard that and I can capture the emotional terminology. Now that was just a logical shift for me because I'm still not a naturally feeling oriented person, but I, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. 
Anyway, that's just me. Don't, let's not vote on it. All right. <clears throat> Last line, judging perceptive line. This is the most difficult dimension to hide. It doesn't mean one is a judge or the other is more perceptive. It's just different ways to deal with the world around us. Judging people like things settled and organized, perceptives like to keep on looking and remain open-minded. You know what, I, I jumped a little bit because I'm out of time, uh, so I didn't ask you to put on your sheet where, where um, you thought you would be, but go ahead and do that and I'm gonna move forward on the JP line. So here's the judging person. They like to wrap things up. They like to follow a plan. They have a system of doing things. Things have a place. They need to go in that place. If you borrow it, please return it to that place because that's where it goes. They make lists. These are the list makers of the world. They may even have to add something to their list at the end of the day if they did it and didn't have it on the list at the beginning of the day because they can cross it out and say, I did it. It feels good. They like to organize. Sometimes organize when other people don't want them to organize. They like to organize everything in sight. Why? Because that's the way they process. They make a lot of preparations. They take pleasure in getting something finished, wrapping it up. The situation of the moment must conform to established plans because there is a right way to do things. They prefer structure. <clears throat> I'm borrowing this from Dave Morgan. He says six o'clock for the judging person is when the big hand is on 12 and the little hand is on six. It just makes sense. Perceptive people. They like to be flexible, spontaneous, impromptu, laid back. Things go wherever I put them. Tend to be curious. Welcome new light on a situation or person. They keep plans, opinions, options as open as possible because you always want to be flexible in case something better comes along. Why nail yourself down to that? So they like that go with the flow kind of experience. They may postpone unpleasant tasks. They enjoy surprises. They tend to be good at adapting to changing circumstances. Why? Because routines are just too limiting. They adjust easily to the accidental and the unexpected. They take pleasure in starting something new, even though they may never finish it. Because it's the excitement of starting it. And then it's like, I get bored with that, it's too routine. So they go on to something else. For them, six o'clock, somewhere between 5.45, 6.15, you've got, you got some leeway in there. And so that fits for them. J's, CP's is being disorganized, unable to set plans, they're wishy-washy. P's view J's is too rigid, inflexible, boring. I remind you, both are gifts. <laughs> My wife is a P, I'm a J. A vacation for her, a wonderful vacation is set the, set the week and then just head out west. Yeah. And we'll just stop where we want, we'll eat where we want, we'll go where we want. If we want to read those historical markers, we can just pull over. And I'm going, you're kidding me. What kind of a vacation is that? Because I need at least three to six months to plan where we're going to stay, where we're going to get gas. I got to make sure, you know, we got a hotel room reserved. I want to make sure if we need tickets in advance, can we get a discount on them if we order them in advance rather than just showing up at the gate? You see, I like to think about things and I think it works really well for people. In fact, I think you all should be a J, right? <laughs> but there's something beautiful about that. And we've done some of her vacations. And, and she's kind of leaned over. So, you know, because one time we got stuck we couldn't get a hotel. <laughs> and so we drove uh, another 100 miles trying to find a place. And so she said, yeah, maybe it does make sense that we sort of, I said, well, if you think, whatever you think, honey. <laughs> Emily? Along those lines, uh, 
you're you're two of the experts. I heard somebody say one time that the Myers Briggs is kind of a design for us to know how we naturally function, but then move to the middle. Like the goal is to understand and like practice in different situations, maybe where it's most effective to be one way or another, but to be able to like move to the middle. You know, I, I think that that is for me. I, I would like to grow closer to the middle so that I have greater appreciation for introspection. Mm -hmm. uh, ask me to go on a three-day silent retreat, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I have a heart attack before it comes <laughs> out, because I'm just thinking, what would you, how could you just go three days, and I've heard that, and so I'm planning on going on one at some point, because I think, God, I think you'll show up, and, and I think you're wanting to say something to me, but I've been denying that in my own world. So I think you're, there, there's something about that that you want to keep allowing yourself to grow in appreciation of the other perspectives that you don't have. Like I took the Myers-Briggs uh, uh, about three months ago, and I came out as an ENFJ. I'm not an ENFJ, but, but I answered the questions differently because I'm thinking about where I process things now. Even though I go, well, that's where I used to be pretty strongly, but now it's kind of like I've, I'm comfortable in this world, but I'm still an ESTJ. As much as I'd like to say I've changed, I haven't. I've grown, I think. Yeah. So let me give you some cue words on this one. This is the judging. This is the perceptive. Settled. Pending. Decided. Gather more data. Fixed, flexible, plan ahead, adapt as you go, run one's life, let life happen, closure, open options, decision-making, treasure hunting, completed, emergent, planned, open-ended, decisive, tentative, wrap it up, something will turn up, urgency, there's plenty of time, De deadline, what deadline, get the show on the road, let's wait and see. So you see very clear differences when they're at the extreme. So mark on your sheet where you are. And if you would, I could take a minute and do the Q words on the TF scale, because I, I didn't do that a moment ago. Would you like me to do that real quick? Okay. So this is the thinking, this is the feeling. Objective, subjective. Principles, values. Policy, social needs. Laws, extenuating circumstances. Firmness, persuasion, impersonal, personal. Justice, humane. Categories, harmony. Critique, appreciate. Analysis, sympathy. So... Mark where you think you are. Now, it does sound like I'm kind of emphasizing this side over here because this is me, <laughs> ESTJ. So it does sound like I'm giving maybe even a little bit of value to some of that, like, oh, that's not so good. But they are good. Uh, and you can find a way in which those, those good aspects emerge and bless experience. I've been in a leadership position in a church environment since I was 20 years old. That seems like a long time ago, but I've always, and I think, what is that about? Well, there's something about the ESTJ, sometimes called the administrators of the world. I go, oh, I just automatically do that. You put me in a group, I'll give about 30 seconds to see if anybody else is going to emerge as the leader. And when that doesn't happen, guess what? It's just too natural for me. I'm going to start asking questions, start engaging people, starting to process what we can do to move it along in a timely fashion, especially if they say, break up into groups of four. You've got uh, three minutes to process this question. <laughs> That's not a lot of time. <laughs> so, you know, I want to see it happening pretty quickly. So, you know, you, you notice those things and you lean into your preference. But then you also recognize where it conflicts with partnership uh, in, in either work, home, et cetera. Okay, questions, thoughts? Next week. Okay. 
Hey, I hope you had an enjoyable time with this, and I'm glad to, to answer any questions you have. That was just like a really highlighted, <laughs> brief journey, but thank you for your uh, patience in getting through that.